tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. So good to see all you here this morning. Uh, I'm Bob Vroon. I'm a retired pastor um, who is on the preaching rotation. I guess that's what I was supposed to say. <laughs> it wasn't written down, man. I don't remember it, you know? That's the way it is. Um, I would like to start by reading the passage for this morning. <clears throat> let's, let's have a short prayer first. Lord, we want to acknowledge our dependence on you And we know that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to understand your word and then to live it. And we pray for that. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark 14, 1 to 9 is our passage this morning. And uh, turn in your Bible, if you will, or it should be up on the screen. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, where the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And so they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That concludes our reading from God's Word. Our passage this morning is mainly a story of a woman's love and devotion to Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And I'm going to not talk too much about those first two verses. They're kind of ugly, but they're in the background there. But verses 3 to 9. Most commentators agree that this is the same story that you find in John chapter 12, and also, again, in Matthew 26. So I will add some details from those passages. Maybe the most important detail that John adds is that this unnamed woman in the account of Mark and also of Matthew, we're told, is Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And this helps us to understand the story better. Because the point of the story is not so much about what a wonderful woman she was who did this beautiful thing, 
but it's all about the good news behind the story, what God has done that her actions are a response to. And the good news is, first of all, that God sent his son to reveal God to us by his words and deeds. And we see in an earlier passage that Mary was really soaking up the teaching of Jesus like a sponge. She just loved it, sat at his feet, and just ate it right up. And then secondly, we see that God sent his son to bring us life. So Jesus raised Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead and then went on to tell her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. That's good news. But there's more good news. Just a few days after Mary would be anointing him, Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. He hints at this in verse 8. And then also, something else good would happen. And that is that he would rise again and thus conquer death for all of us. Mary may not have grasped these two aspects of the good news. I suspect she got the picture that Jesus was soon to die, but did not understand that it would be an atoning death. And I don't think she understood that when he talked about resurrection, his resurrection, that he wasn't talking about something at the end of time. He was talking about something next week. You know, that was a little more than she understood probably at that time. But all the same, this is all part of the good news behind this story. But now there was not only good news behind this story. There was also a goodbye kind of hanging in the background, kind of making the atmosphere somber. Because Jesus knows that this is the last time that he'll see this family that he loves so much. These very special friends that he has a bond with. You know how hard it is to say goodbye to someone that you love? And I'm not talking about you're sending your kids off to college here. You know, I'm talking about dying. Most of us have lost someone that mattered to us, maybe grandparents, maybe your parents, maybe a very close friend, maybe even a spouse. Worst of all, I think, maybe even a child. So you know, you know about the deep sorrow that's involved. And I believe at this moment, in this story, Jesus is feeling it. And so is Mary. And that's part of the emotional atmosphere of this story. Well, let's delve into the story. Mary is sensing that Jesus is not going to be around much longer. And she loves him. 
She loves him because of the great things that he teaches. She loves him because of the deeds, the kind deeds that he does. She loves him because of the way he has treated her and her family. She loves him especially for raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. She loves that he brings spiritual life to her and other people around her. And she firmly believes that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and she wants to do something special for him. But what? Her mind goes quickly to her most precious possession in life, a jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. It was made from a rare plant in India. I don't know how expensive it would have been in India, but by the time it was transported all the way to Israel, it was expensive. Verse 5 suggests it would cost more than a year's wages. And Mary, Mary probably was saving this for some very special occasion, who knows what. But now, now, all that doesn't matter. She is overwhelmed by her emotion. She's overwhelmed by her love for Jesus. And she grabs it and takes it to the dinner where Jesus is being honored. And there she finds the guests reclining at table. You know, they, they kind of, my understanding is like, like, let's say that this is the table right here, okay? So they kind of lie down on our left side here, and then the right hand can reach out to grab the food off the table, okay? Now, you, you know all those pictures that we see uh, uh, the, of Jesus sitting at a table, you know, and his disciples, and they're all sitting on chairs around the table? Um, Nice art. <laughs> Not so accurate, probably. So anyway, here's Jesus reclining at table, and Mary goes over to him and breaks open this jar of very, very expensive perfume, and she pours it over his head, as we're told in this passage, and then John adds it she poured it over his feet, and then she got down and wiped his feet with her hair. Wow, what a scene. What love and devotion. And we, we need to do more than analyze here. I don't want you to miss the heartfelt emotion in this scene. Feel it. There was no calculation here on the part of Mary. She didn't think about the cost of this perfume. She didn't think what other people might think. It turns out they didn't like it. And she didn't think whether this good deed might win her salvation or anything like that. I don't think any of that was on her mind at all. This act was an act of reckless and spontaneous love. She just felt this and she did it. Now, how, how do you think this must have affected Jesus? Knowing what lies ahead for him, the very bad week he's going to have, knowing of the hatred of the religious leaders who are sitting there at that very moment plotting against him, 
sensing that he would be rejected by many of his own people whom he loved and cared about. But here, here is this woman doing this beautiful thing for him. At great cost to herself, out of the love in her heart. Do you think this touched him? Do you think maybe that in this somber moment that this lifted his spirits? Do you think maybe this was a mercy from God? I suspect it was. But not everyone thought it was wonderful. Mark just refers to them as some of those present. Ha <laughs> Mark, you, you, I understand you don't want to cut down those disciples or anything, you know, but, uh, but Matthew makes it clear it was the disciples. They're the ones that objected. And they said, hey, this perfume could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Just think of all the people who could have been fed for a, for a year or more, you know? Well, you know, Jesus had taught them by word and deed to care about the poor. It's a good thing to care about the poor. It's a good thing to give to those who are less fortunate. It's a good thing to help others in need. And so they rebuke Mary for what she has done. But Jesus, you will notice, is having none of it. He rises to her defense. She has done a beautiful thing to me, he says. There will always be poor people around that you can help. Well, you know, as long as there is sin in the world, there will be poor people. Is that because of the sin of the rich or the sin of the poor? Yes. That's the answer, yes. Now, let's be clear here. Jesus was not saying, who cares about the poor? He was just saying, they're going to be around for a long time. So you will have plenty of chance to help them, and you should. But he was only going to be around for a few more days. And then he adds that she anointed him to prepare him for his burial. Is that a somber note or what? Does that give you a clue to what Jesus was feeling? Now, in verse 9, in verse 9, Jesus makes a prophecy. He prophesies that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, this story will be told in memory of her. And guess what? We just fulfilled that prophecy right now. <laughs> so you can go home and tell your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, a prophecy was fulfilled in our worship service this morning. And it's true, right? <clears throat> because here in this place where the gospel is preached every Sunday morning and on some other times like Good Friday and so on, this story has also been told. 
Now, there's one more thing about verse 9 that we need to take notice of. Don't let it slip right by you now. There's an implication in verse 9 that Jesus is confident that the gospel will be preached throughout the world. He doesn't say, if the gospel is preached, this will be told, the story. He says, wherever it's preached, all throughout the world. Now, uh, let me get, get, tell you a little something here. Let's, 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 let's go on a little imaginary trip, okay? All of us here today, we're going to be allowed to go back to that day, okay? We're going to actually be there, but we, no one will see us. And we're going to take a few people with us. Who, who would you think I'd want to take with us? Well, would you believe it? I'm going to take a bunch of Vegas odds makers. <laughs> These guys, they know, they know what the odds of this or that would be, right? Everything. So we're going to take them with us. And so they observe and we observe, and they're looking at all the situation and, and, and all, all the stuff that's going on. And so what, what are the odds that this will be told all throughout the world, that the gospel will spread all throughout the world? 10,000 to 1 against it. <laughs> really? I mean, seriously, look at that day. Look what's going on. And Jesus is about to be killed, right? And, and the disciples are going to flee. And, 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 you know, and right now there's this somber feeling. And how many real followers does Jesus even have? I mean, are you kidding me? The whole world is going to hear the gospel someday? 10,000 to 1 against it. But Jesus believes, and it turns out he was right. The gospel is being preached all over the world. Now, that there are still some people in some places who have yet to be reached. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're reached pretty soon. All right, so now we've talked about the story. Now we need to ask the question, how does this apply to me this morning and all throughout the week ahead? And first, we need to ask, what is the good news in my life story? What has God done for me? And I'm going to tell you just a few things that God has done for me just as a kind of a way to, to, to help you to start thinking about what God has done for you. That's the more important thing for you to do, by the way, is to think about what God has done for you. But I'm going to start by just talking about it. For me, it starts a little over 50 years ago. My life was just a mess. I was miserable and miserable to be with. And I decided at some point, I sunk so low, I decided out of desperation to turn my life over to the Lord. And so I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he forgave me of my sins, which were many. And he gave me a new life. And so now, instead of being miserable, I had a sense of joy and a sense of purpose. 
even when things were not going well. And let's be honest, <laughs> even if you're a Christian, things don't always go well, right? Life is hard, but God is good. So the Lord brought about some very good changes in my life, and he's still working on me. And since then, I have immersed myself in his teachings and his word, and how thankful I am for his word, where he revealed himself to us. What a difference it makes in our lives. And I'm thankful for the fellowship and support of God's people our life group, and many others. This is a great place for fellowship. I am thankful for fellowship with God through prayer and for the help that he has given me in answer to prayer. I am thankful for protection, for provision of needs, for healing, and even for a few miracles along the way. And now that I'm getting older, I'm especially thankful for his promise of eternal life. Is there life after death? Yes. Yes, there is. And I wrote a book on it during the pandemic because I got to thinking about it a lot. I wrote a book on what the Bible says about the afterlife, and it should be coming out soon. Do I have things to be thankful for? Yes, for all the gifts and benefits and promises of God. I also love the Lord for the kind of person that he is. Above all, I love him because he first loved me. And how about you? What is the good news for you? I mean, for you personally. What has God done for you in your life? What do you feel thankful to him for? What do you love God for? I encourage you to go home and at some point when you're able to write all this stuff down. And then someday when you're feeling all bummed out about life, go and sit down and read it. It will help. Now, the next question is, how will you pour out your gratitude and love for God? And this is really a personal question for each one of us. But I'm going to share some ideas just to kind of prime the pump. So first of all, we can spend time in the Word of God and soak it up like a sponge. Are you thankful for the Word of God? Do you believe it is the Word of God? Well, then eat it up. Digest it. Take it in. Meditate. Delight in it. And seek to live by it. We can also keep company with God in prayer, praising Him and seeking His help for others and for ourselves and for our ministries that we're involved in. We can joyfully give our time for Christian service. That's a way of showing our love for God. We can give money to things that are on the heart of God. 
Okay, so you, you, you get catch that? They're not just things that I think about, but things that are on the heart of God. What does God care about? And give money to those things. We can join an exalted worship of God in a, in a couple minutes. <clears throat> on Sunday mornings, other services that we have here at the church, but not just Sunday mornings in that church. We can sing songs of praise throughout the day. Why not? You know, I, I love to listen to my Christian CDs as I go down the street. You know, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir was one of my favorites. And uh, Al Green and Kirk Franklin and Andre Crouch. And you can, if you were just happen to be there, you see this crazy guy going down the street and jumping all around and singing and everything like that. You know, it's good. It's good. You can do that. You're allowed. And then we can show the love of Jesus to other people in our daily life. That's another way of loving God. And you can help spread the gospel. That's good, too. And, 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 you know, we can go on. Do you have a few hours? There are just so many possibilities. But think about it. What has God done for you? And how will you pour out your gratitude and love for him this week? Pour it out from the heart. Feel it deeply. Take time to meditate on all of this. Feel it. Don't just think it. Feel it and then pour out your heartfelt gratitude. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. We can, we can hardly even begin. I mean, we could write books on it, on what you've done for us and the ways that you've impacted our lives in a wonderful way and in the great promises that you've made for us that we look forward to them being fulfilled. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and help us, help us, O oh Lord, to feel it in our heart and to lift up our praise to you and to find ways to show our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.